Welcome to the Food Therapy Podcast, where we talk honestly and openly about mental health, diet culture, BS, and food freedom. We're your co-hosts. I'm Brittany Modell, owner of Brittany Modell Nutrition and Wellness. And I'm Lauren Sharp, owner of Empower Method Nutrition. We are food freedom registered dietitians who have struggled with mental health, poor body image, and disordered eating behaviors. We are on a mission to dismantle diet culture, normalize conversations around mental health, and empower you as you heal your relationship with food and your body. Let's get talking. Welcome back to the Food Therapy Podcast. Today we have Rachel Fine. We are so excited to have Rachel. Rachel is a former professional dancer turned registered dietitian nutritionist who founded To The Point Nutrition in 2013 with the mission to provide certified nutrition education to dancers of all ages and levels. As a certified specialist in sports dietetics and certified counselor of intuitive eating, Rachel built the Healthy Dancer community to combine the principles of performance nutrition with a non-diet approach to eating. So welcome, Rachel, to the podcast. Thank you so much for having me. I'm looking forward to this chat. I share so many of the same philosophies that you both share in regards to what you educate with this podcast. So it's honestly an honor to be here. So glad. So you know, why don't you tell us a bit about your story, how you got into this space? You know, we mentioned that you were a dancer turned registered dietitian. So I'm so curious to hear about your experience as a dancer and what ultimately brought you to the field of dietetics. Absolutely. So my track thus far in life has been pretty quote unquote standard in the dance world because I basically started dancing at a young age at around six years old. And I went to a small hometown school, always stayed in the normal academic uh, school system in regards to like, I went to a normal middle school and a normal high school. And the reason why I say that is because a lot of dancers who do fall on the pre-professional track will end up doing um, homeschooling or going to like a pre-professional school for their dance training. I didn't do that. And part of the reason for that was I was a bit of a late bloomer and I'll explain why this is significant, but I was a bit of a late bloomer. It didn't really develop into, um, my own in regards to as a dancer until later 16, 17. So while I started dancing at an early age, I didn't really pursue it on a pre-professional level until closer to 16 years old, which is, I would say on the late end of the spectrum in regards to like when dancers usually begin their pre-professional training. Um, and that really was more from a perspective of, um, musculature and not from like a body image standpoint, but more from the physical ability to actually get up on your toes on point shoes. Uh, I just struggled with that until I really, until those later years, like 16, 17. So I always was in like a, a usual school setting. It wasn't until around 17 years old when I started my pre-professional dance training, which involved up to like six, seven hour days. I was traveling into the city, taking classes, still dancing in like my small hometown and attending numerous amounts of intensives. So like summer intensives and winter intensives um, in order to really just like fine tune that training. And then I decided to go to college for to or in order to pursue my bachelor's of fine arts, specifically in ballet and uh, classical training. 
So I started college as a dance major, and this was when I began to spark an interest in quote unquote, like healthy eating. Um, and I just want to, you know, make it very apparent that I always think back, you know, when did diet culture infiltrate my personal life? And it definitely wasn't until these later years, we're talking 17, 18 years old. And I can't ignore the fact that I was shielded because of my thin privilege, um, both in our general world and even in the dance world. Um, so I always find that really interesting now as a clinician working with dancers as young as 11 years old who are being infiltrated by diet culture. I look back at my own path uh, as a dancer, um, and it really didn't infiltrate me into my later years. So it's something I always like to acknowledge. Um, and we can, of course, get into that a little bit more. But it wasn't until like 17, 18 that I sparked an interest in health. I believe I was, I think that it was specifically in my BFA program where we had like a nutrition class. It was a one-time thing. It was like a 60-minute little nutrition class for the dancers. And this was where it was all from Good Intentions who taught that class. She'd never meant anything bad by this, but you know, that's where I learned that food was going to play a role on how I was dancing on stage. And uh, side note, I've always been type A. I'm a recovering perfectionist. So if you give me information such as that, my 17 year old self took that information to the 200th degree. <laughs> yeah. um, and that is the, what ignited years of disordered eating, um, orthorexia, obsessing over healthy food. So Brittany, I know we've related about this in the past that my interest in nutrition rooted from a very disordered place and what I thought meant health. Um, so it was at this point, 17, 18, that I'm starting to get interested in nutrition, still dancing and wanting to connect the two, like realizing my, my dream was still at that point to be a professional dancer, but I knew or thought I knew that in order to perfect my performance on stage, I had to figure out the food thing. And that just fascinated me. The whole thing about nutrition fascinated me. I ended up taking like a one credit nutrition course throughout in that BFA program uh, that opened my eyes to the confusion around nutrition, just in regards to what it really meant to be a healthy food versus like a processed food. And I just couldn't under, there were so many concepts that were being thrown at me. It was, it was like the first nutrition class you ever take as a dietitian, like intro to nutrition, where you learn mm -hmm. about, and you dive into some things like the food industry and all of that fear mongering that go, you know what I'm talking about? hundred percent. I'm, we're, I'm like shaking my head. And so is Lauren. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> we're talking Michael Pollan, we're talking yep. Marion Nestle, like all of that stuff that is at the time fascinated me. I was so confused. You know, before that, what I thought meant healthy meant counting calories. I was partaking what I didn't know at the time. I was partaking in very disordered eating behaviors. Lucky for me, though, I will say I've always been the kind of person who has been able to take a step back of my own life and like look back in and see different perspectives in my own self. And I was able at this point, maybe it was like six months into this quote unquote clean eating propaganda <laughs> regimen that I was partaking in, again, still dancing full time, when I realized like, not only was I confused, but it was doing the opposite of what I thought it would do, right? Because I was mentally exhausted. I didn't know it at the time, but I was 
headed towards burnout really quickly. Um, it got to the point where I, the thought of taking a dance class became just this huge chore. What went from being this thing that I love that I was so excited to do every day just became a huge point of anxiety for me. Um, and as I mentioned before, because of my thin privilege, that anxiety was never um, an experience of perhaps worrying about what someone would say about my body. It was more internalized, what I was internalized to be this very whitewashed um, definition of health that I could not attain because of my perfectionism. Um, and that's why I was so confused. Like this, this attainable level of health that I was trying to achieve with this quote unquote clean eating diet that I'm being told and reading in the magazines and reading online would, would be what's best for me was actually chipping away at me. And that's when I luckily was able to say, okay, something's up here. I also got injured at the same time. I wasn't able to participate in one of the bigger performances in your BFA program. And I think I was a sophomore at the time. Um, and I made this like very quick decision to say, I got to take myself out for a second because I got to figure so something's not working. Like I'm very interested in nutrition. I want to learn more about this, but I can't continue dancing because I'm hurting myself. And I was exhausted. Couldn't fathom the idea of, wanting to, to continue this path as a professional dancer. And I just didn't know it at the time. I didn't know that I was exhausted because I genuinely wasn't eating enough. I just thought that I was, um, maybe my passion for what I had started was disappearing and I couldn't really figure it out at the time. But what I did know is I was starting to develop this other passion for what I thought to be healthy and what I thought to be nutrition. And that's when I switched majors and decided to say, okay, you know what? I still want to dance. So I wanted to move into Manhattan where all the opportunities for dance are. And I'm going to now switch academically and become a dietitian. I didn't even know that at the time. At the time I was like, I'm just going to get my master's in nutrition, whatever I thought it was. It wasn't until it started to snowball when I entered the program at NYU that I learned about the dietetics path and the career and the opportunities. I've also have always been a bit of a science nerd. So once I started to dive into those courses, I absolutely loved it. Um, I will say for years in that program, a lot of those courses fed into my disordered eating. I'm sure you can relate to this too in the sense of like you're in biochem and you're like, ooh, I'm going to figure out the exact path of carbohydrates in the test yes. cycle and how I can now manipulate that for the better. hundred <laughs> percent. So it wasn't until after I got my RD when I discovered intuitive eating and we can eventually talk about that. But um, yeah, so that's really the path that I took from dancer to dietitian, or at least the start of my nutrition career. I never point blank stopped dancing. I just stopped the intensity that I was dancing. So when I started to study nutrition and get really on that track academically, um, as that took up more of my time, I just naturally reduced the amount I was dancing. So it was less performing, less rehearsals. I always tried to get to classes when I can. And that was definitely a bit of a mental adjustment for me as well, because as a dancer, we're really trained. It's ingrained into us that you've got to be in a studio, if not every day, then like five, six days a week. Um, so it took a lot of 
unlearning on my end to realize that I was going to dance better <laughs> by doing less, believe it or not, because there was definitely some over-exercising that I got into within these disordered eating habits. And again, at the time, I didn't know that I was over-exercising. I didn't know that I was um, partaking in disordered eating habits. I mean, it's obviously, as you know, normalized in our culture, but it is really prioritized in the dance world because again, we are essentially artistic athletes in the sports nutrition world as well. You know, these behaviors are seen and really sold to us for bettering what we love and what we want to pursue professionally. When in fact, you know, if definitely, if you have that ounce of type A perfectionism in you, it can very much limit your abilities. Yes. That so much of your story relates to obviously not the dancing part, but what I struggled with in terms of orthorexia and the perfectionism and trying to manipulate things in biochem. I'm like, all right, so what's this deal with fasting and, you know, all this kind of stuff. And it's just like, it's crazy. You just, you try so hard to find that like perfect solution, but like nothing's ever going to be perfect enough and you end up driving yourself crazy. So how... Like when you had, and I'm the same way too, where I had this realization, I'm really grateful because I had the realization that I was going down a really bad path. So I took myself out of it, but a lot of people don't have that awareness, right? So I was like, okay, clearly something not good is going on here. I'm literally having panic attacks over food. Like this is, you know, not a good path. So it's, it's funny that you say that, you know, having that awareness is really important. Um, especially even if you are like recovering to, to build that awareness so that you don't go down that same path again. Um, so what, like being a dancer, I, cause I've had people DM me all the time where they're like, I literally can't get out of this cycle because it is my profession. It is my career. Like, what do you tell those people? a really great question. And what it was for me to have had that ability to have that perspective, and this is something I talk about with a lot of dancers, so it'll weave into your question. Um, my disordered eating aligned with years of 17, 18, 19, 20, very much these were years also having moved into Manhattan where you're looking to go out with friends, you're looking to start dating, partaking in these other life experiences, that was the wake-up call because I knew really quickly that I wasn't going to be able to do those things if I was trying to attain this vision of what society was selling to me as being healthy. Mm -hmm. I also come from a family where food is the center of everything. I mean, holidays, Sunday night dinners. Um, if my parents wouldn't let me not partaking those things like that. That is off. I come from a pretty like traditional Jewish family where food is very much a huge part of any family gathering. So if there was like any ounce of restrictive eating, someone's going to call you out on it. You know what I mean? And, and that happened. And that's how I knew pretty quickly that um, I needed to make a change. So I think those, again, years where I'm starting to now want to experience other life experiences, right? And also, of course, just having the support of my family helped me realize that these disordered eating behaviors were not like, something's not up here, something's not aligning. Um, and that's exactly what I do talk to the dancers about, right? Because uh, it is unfortunate, number one, there's no doubt that we are dealing with 
very unattainable standards in the dance world, most of which is rooted in white privilege, elitism, and so forth. Um, and it's going to take a lot more than just my voice to change the industry. And we also have a lot of dancers who, you know, are also going to these small schools and all they want is to be cast as Clara for the Nutcracker. So you, I can tell you they're not going up to their instructor and saying, no, I'm not going to do lose XYZ because Rachel just posted about XYZ. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, I, I can assure you that these dancers are not going to feel comfortable doing that. I know I wouldn't have when I was their age and when all I wanted was to be cast in that role. So there's no doubt that it's hard. One thing that I always really encourage, depending on the age range of the dancers, sometimes if they're on the younger spectrum, I will be working with their parents as well and encourage that they start to look around in their environment. Like they're small, forgetting the industry industry as a whole, right? Like let's first start small and start your, your specific environment. Is it actually supporting you as a dancer or are you feeling shamed in your body, shamed with the foods that you're bringing into class, not being, not allowed to bring foods into class and so forth? Because if that's the case, is there another option for you in regards to your environment? Now, uh, granted this advice can seem extremely unattainable for dancers who maybe are coming from a small hometown. They only have one dance school to choose. Um, so I get it. I, I get that changing your environment not m might not necessarily be the most practical advice for all dancers, but it is something I do want parents and dancers to consider. Um, parents being involved in the studio is another option here, you know, getting involved with making a snack table or um, a, a energy refresher table at performances and so forth. Now, the other thing that I'll have dancers begin to work on is if they feel safe in their environment, can they begin to bring these ideas to their environment, whether that be their school or that company, even if it's just in their small circle of friends, you know, the more that we sometimes I even tell dancers, like, tell them to follow me, the more that we can just start to integrate ideas of food freedom and body liberation in dancers on an individual basis, hopefully we can come together and down the road make changes for the better, which in the dance industry as a whole, like actually has been happening over the past year. We've had some really big name dancers start speaking out and leaving companies. There was a big thing that happened with Miami City Ballet this past year, really big company that's known to be pretty in the trenches when it comes to the specific type of body that they're looking for with their dancers. So there are definitely changes that are rolling out currently as we speak in the dance world. Granted, we still have a long way to go. Um, so yeah, I guess it's a matter of really assessing your personal environment. If it's attainable or accessible, then I'll encourage perhaps switching environments, trying to speak out if a dancer feels safe, perhaps turning to parents, uh, turning to their close friends if they if they feel safe as well. But but here's the bottom line, right? If a dancer comes to me and they're like, Rachel, I get what you're saying, but I know the dance world and I know what I have to look like, then I'm going to say, but you're are also gonna have to partake in these really intense movements for the long run 
if you are partaking in behaviors that are disordered around food, and if you are not eating enough because you're trying to achieve a body shape or a weight that's not attainable, you're just going to land yourself an injury. So it's not going to help your dancing. Like that's just the science. That's just the facts, right? right? If you are under eating and you haven't gotten a period in over six months or a year or longer, guess what? You're headed to stress fracture land. You're sitting at a nutcracker. You're not even going to be able to perform what you're trying to right. perform. Yeah. Or you're going to experience mental injury. That's what happened to me. I was burnt out. Yeah. I had to stop performing because of, because of my burnout. So that's what I need dancers to really just take a step back and look at and say, what am I trying to achieve here? Like, yes, I'm not denying that there are unfortunate standards in our dance world. And hopefully we're trying to change that. But we also need to remember from on the minute scale, minute level that you need to fuel your body adequately. Yeah. And also like, and what I'm hearing you say is like, at what cost, right? It's like, you want to achieve these things, but are, at what cost are you willing to achieve them? And it's, it's a lot. I, I've never personally participated in that level of sport or dance. So I can't even imagine the pressure, but another thing that kind of comes to mind too, is, you know, when a dancer comes to you comparing her body to another person's body in the room. And because your body shape like is a big part of when you land certain jobs and, you know, it's a big part of dance. I'm curious how you help clients navigate body image in the dance world and body comparison. Yeah. It's, it is so hard because a dancer's life is spent in front of a mirror and a mirror can be a tool that helps a dancer in regards to fine tuning your technique, everything about a dancer's line. And I'm not talking about the line or the look of a body. I'm talking about the shapes that any body can make with it while, while dancing. Okay. Um, all of that requires use of a mirror so you can learn about how to get your body into various, whether that's positions or movements and so forth. So how do we now make it where we can utilize the mirror less for comparing my body to the next dancer's body and more for looking at perhaps another dancer's technique and what they're uh, perhaps the shapes that they are making. Again, all of this is going to be very difficult because one body shape is going to make a different movement than another body shape. And I think what we have to realize here is that art and dance in general needs diversity. It needs differing body types. And, you know, this is of course what I would love the industry as a whole to listen to, because we still have a lot of these ballet companies specifically that are not necessarily hearing the the need for body diversity and that's where you'll you'll see a lot of the same different body types skin colors etc in, in a lot of these companies um and it's really honestly taking away from the art mm. and the depth of what art can bring and i think that's what we need to start not introducing. I mean, it's been introduced into the dance world. There are companies out there that are definitely becoming more diverse, thankfully, um, but it's not enough. We need more. And it's a matter of thinking about, well, what is this diversity bringing to us as an art form? And remembering that if your version of perfection or ideal is coming from, again, this whitewashed, um, ideal or definition, then it's not going to be attainable. And I realize, you know, I, I struggle also personally, um, with 
my own privileges, to be honest, we had white privilege and um, thin privilege. And I know I spoke about this earlier, but it's something that I am constantly trying to navigate through as I work with dancers and educate on the large scale about these messages and about bringing diversity. And I understand it is easier for me to say this. You know what I mean? I, I see, I see the dancers. I roll my own, own eyes sometimes when I'm talking about this, like really, because it's, it's just such an unfortunate truth, but I still want to make sure that I can work to be an ally, to hope to change um, and shift our industry, which unfortunately is still so rooted in a lot of white supremacy and a lot of um, thin privilege, obviously. So I'm, I hope to be a voice in that, you know, continue to be a voice in that. But I do understand that um, I have a lot of these privileges and sometimes I struggle with my own, I guess it, guilt is the word. I don't really know how to describe it. Right. And, but I think the fact that you are an ally and you are an advocate, like, you know, we can't um, control how we're born and what we're born into, but if we can use those privileges for the better and to help those who don't have those privileges, I think is so important. And, you know, I am so glad that the dance world has someone like you who is advocating for them and bringing just some nuance and some like realness to the dance world, because I can't even imagine, you know, the challenges that people face. Yeah. And I would say the biggest thing that I've been working on these days is the stigma in the dance world around, um, I posted about it today, but like processed foods and um, convenience foods, because so there is so much rhetoric in the dance world about quote unquote clean eating. And I thought we were moving away from this, honestly, about like maybe in the past five years now that intuitive eating has really taken off. But more recently, I'm actually seeing a lot of this, like the whole food, quote unquote, movement, like kind of like coming, coming back and this really demonization of convenient foods and processed foods. And I guess just in my like almost 10 years of experience now working with dancers on all levels of the economic spectrum, I'm seeing how hurtful and shameful it can be for even a clinician like myself to say, Oh, we'll just have some quinoa with your grilled chicken for dinner. Right, you know what I right. mean? And it's like, and, and it really, it just, it drives me up a wall, but guess what? I'm, I'm guilty myself of giving those recommendations. Right. I mean, yeah. I mean, I think we all have like, even yeah. I remember like while I was in school, like I thought I was helping like, Oh, like replace the rice and beans and add this. I'm like, Oh my God. Like that is yeah. just cringeworthy. Yeah. So interesting too, when it comes down to like gentle nutrition in intuitive eating, it actually makes more sense to have like you were saying, like a convenience food, especially when you're a dancer. And I feel like, you know, you're going back and forth to the studio and practice and like, you just need food. And I talk about this a lot. Like sometimes like, you know, you don't have access to a salad, but like you're about to go to practice. Like I would rather you eat a cookie to have some fuel than pass out at practice. So absolutely. I said this earlier, there's not nothing more unhealthy than, um, the stigma around quote unquote processed foods in a, in our culture, right? And we know this now, we know that there's research behind weight stigma um, and that it is worse 
for health outcomes than the potential behaviors we are pointing to. And it's, I know you both can relate if you open up your clinical nutrition binders from when we were in school. I mean, it is like written and highlighted, avoid processed foods, avoid processed foods. And I'm like, mm-hmm. but so, so what, when a dancer is on tour in a country that they've never been to before, and they are going from a hotel to a rehearsal to a performance all in one day, have no idea where to get food, but there's a local fast food restaurant. What am I going to say? Don't eat at the fast food restaurant because it's quote unquote processed. My God, no. Like, and I agree with you that the idea of gentle nutrition, so much of it comes into just the simplicity of providing our body with energy. Mm-hmm. One thing that I've learned throughout this whole process of intuitive eating is this idea of energy, right? And so much when we are studying nutrition and uh, getting, especially even like sports nutrition, we start to really micromanage things. And, you know, it's how, and I, I look back and even you could go on my blog, dancenutrition.com and look at old articles and you'll see written stuff written about, you know, get the biggest bang for your buck, like nutritional wise and how many nutrients can we pack into one meal at one time? (laughs) And, um, you know, I'm like, well, let's, let's hold off. That's my type A perfectionism speaking out again. And I'm saying, well, do I need to have like, does my dessert need to have all of these antioxidants from berries or can it like actually just taste good and be something that I want to eat for the purpose of it just being good or like for the purpose of food, just being energy and not necessarily being like, um, high in vitamin A or high in calcium. And, And like, all of those points are still super important for a dancer. Like we do need to talk about foods that will help strengthen bones and foods that will help if, if a dancer is plant-based and, you know, talking about where can they get iron and B12 and so forth. Um, but it's, it's never involves an exclusive mindset. And in today's day and age, it's rare. It's a rarity that we would even ever see a dancer have an quote unquote inadequacy on like a micronutrient, you know what I mean? So so I think it's a matter of taking a step back and realizing that food can be so much more than just these uh, specific little tools or vitamins and minerals and realize that energy is also super important for everything that we do for our working metabolism and so forth. Um, and it's okay to also just enjoy food because you like it. What's interesting is I feel like as a society, we're told like every meal needs to be this like very nutrient dense, perfect meal. And the idea of just eating something for the pure enjoyment and satisfaction is such a foreign concept for people. So I'm not eating a cookie to get fiber and meet my like nutritional needs. I'm eating a cookie because it genuinely tastes good and I like it. And so, you know, it's just, it's a lot of unlearning. And as far as like where we sort of grab onto these concepts. Like it starts at a really young age. It starts with our parents and it starts in schools. I have so many, uh, I should say college students, college student clients who they told me that their food fears came from health class. And Mm -hmm. it reminds me of what you were saying, that one nutrition class that kind of triggered you. It was not meant to cause harm, but yet so many people just grab onto what was said, especially if you have more of like a type A kind of perfectionist mindset. Yeah. Yeah. And specifically in the dance world, I don't know if it's the type A that comes first or the dance that comes first, but I would say 99% of the dancers that I work with are type A perfectionists. Mm -hmm. Um, And it just, 
I think perfectionists gravitate, especially towards ballet because it's very regimented. It's, um, when on a superficial standpoint, it's very, um, predictable and structured, but it's not until you actually can really understand. This is something that I actually work on with dancers realizing, again, it comes back to even with something as structured as the pedagogy of ballet, of classical ballet, which is essentially the same thing every class. You, you walk into any class anywhere in the world, you can go to Paris and take a ballet class, or you can go to New York City and take a ballet class. And that class is going to follow the same structure where you're like starting with a bar, you're going into the center, you're moving across the floor, pretty much stays the same no matter where you go. Um, but what you've got to come to learn is that there actually is so much more that can be added to your artistry as a dancer. And you can't do that if you are subconsciously really hungry and not fueling yourself enough, because we all know that if we're not fueling ourselves enough, we're going to be obsessively thinking about food and obsessively thinking about ingredients and calories and so forth. One thing I do these, uh, uh, Brittany, I did one with you, the conversations with the pros, my Instagram live chat. Yes. I, I try to talk to a lot of professional dancers and it's always the on the professional level not i'm sorry not always but most of the time a lot of the dancers that i've spoken to um on this professional level are seeing versus like the school level the dancers who are in school who kind of have like a lot more other types of pressures on them because they have they just want to attain what these professional dancers have already attained and they're kind of right. already there um and i feel that the professionals are more able to now dive into artistry and really seek like how they can take that structure and predictability of ballet and like make it their own whereas like the students it's a little that's less common for the students to be able to do right um and i think it's interesting to realize how food plays into that because a lot of these professional dancers now are studying or living in new countries and to be able to now build other life experiences around food and Brittany, like you were saying to enjoy food just because it's either food or because you're in another country and you're trying something of the culture and something different, not necessarily because it has to be this nutrient powerhouse, um, you right. know, to, to fuel us. And on that note too, I love how in the intuitive eating book, there's something, I, I don't remember the direct quote, but it's about how the United States, it's about the United States and France and about, I think how the United States is like the number one in food worry and France mm -hmm. is like the number one in like food satisfaction and pleasure. And they're all yeah. so much healthier than us, which mm. is so interesting. Yeah, it is really interesting. I love that idea of food as satisfaction and food for pleasure, because if only someone had taught me that in that same nutrition class that I took when I was 17, um, I think things would have been a lot different for me for years because it was in that class where I rightfully so like not, it, it wasn't any bad intention on this instructor, um, but it was really geared towards our physical health and, you know, what it means to be healthy from our society standpoint in regards to um, our physical nature, our body composition and so forth. And side note, we know that health involves so much more than that, right? And what we define as health in our society really is not um, this What I'm sorry, what we define as health in our society is unfortunately a dichotomy. That is, you're either healthy if you fit into these certain standards or you are unhealthy if you don't fit into the certain standards and it's not fair and it's not attainable to so many people. That's a side note though. Um, but what I wish I had learned when I was 17 is that health involves so much more than just our physical health. 
it's also our mental and emotional well-being and food satisfaction plays so much into that. Absolutely. I mean, and mental health is obviously something that Lauren and I talk a lot about on this podcast and it's, it's such a big part of health and just overall well-being, and yet it often gets ignored. I'm curious with, again, you know, the whole industry being very weight body size focused. Um, what if someone is telling one of your clients or you hear about it, like, you need to lose weight for the sake of dance. You're not going to make it if you don't lose weight. Like what do you do? Yeah, it's, it's very unfortunate because I do hear that a lot. Um, probably at least once a week from a client. And I really want to say it goes back to your environment. If you have the access to finding a more supportive environment as a dancer, then I highly, that's going to be my first recommendation because unfortunately I don't necessarily know if we can change the minds of some old school dance educators out there who are still very much in the trenches of, of just old school ideals as dancers, right? Like this is definitely a new world and hopefully the new generation of dancers will continue on with these messages that I'm and so many other dance medicine professionals are really working to spread. Um, so again, it goes back to environment. If a dancer has the access to perhaps choosing a different company, I actually recently just had this with a dancer who literally had the decision between two different contracts. And while her dream was to be in this very typical ballet um, company, she ended up choosing the other atypical company, still professional dance company, just a little bit more contemporary, a little bit more modern, which usually tends to um, allow for more diversity. And again, hopefully we can change the ballet world, but there's definitely a, a difference in regards to what various companies and more contemporary, more modern company will um, just be easier on their dancers in regards to what the, the information that they're spreading. So this dancer is a perfect example of what I'm talking about. Someone who ended up choosing, maybe it wasn't their dream when they were 11 years old, but that's the company she chose. And I actually just checked in with her today and she is in such a good place. She's, she actually even um, pushed her session back. She's supposed to have a session today. Pushed it back a little bit because she's like, you know, I'm in a really good place right now. I'm, she's moved currently in the process of a move and stuff. So it was really nice to hear that, to hear a firsthand experience of a dancer who, like I said, had these two contracts in her hands. One would have catered to her 11 year old dream. And then the yes. other one, um, is definitely a little bit riskier for her. She wasn't sure if this was going to be, uh, what she would have enjoyed, but so far so good, you know, and she's, awesome. and the best part about it is that she has dance on her mind for the long run. It's not like, it's not like it's a, you know, Gonna, she's going to fall into this six month year long uh, thing until she hits burnout. So I think that's a really important point also is to, and this is something that I remember doing when I was at that point of like disordered eating and dancing. I remember really looking in the mirror and just thinking, I don't think I can do this. Like for another, I was a sophomore at the time in that BFA program. And I was like, I don't think I could do this for another two years. Like I, I had a very short term um, like revelation at that point, you know what I mean? I, there was no way that I was going to get through the next two years, like continuing on this path. So I suggest a lot of dancers look at that as well. Just look at like, can I continue these exact behaviors 
for the long run? And if the answer is no, then we've got to make a change. Right. And I mean, and this does incorporate that, but it also just reminds me of dieting too. Like, I know we're talking also about some disordered eating behaviors in addition to just lifestyle and all that, but it also just reminds me of dieting. It's like, can you continue to miss out on social activities and continue to put your mental health at risk and, you know, continue to obsess about food? So it's just definitely a lot of overlaps. Yes. There's a, there's a ton of overlaps in the dance world and with dieting and they integrate, obviously, or they intersect. Um, but I also feel like sometimes any of the body image messages that we hear in the, in the general world are maybe exacerbated in the dance world, because of, like you said, um, in the beginning, this idea that dancers very much need an income. And sometimes that income, unfortunately, will be from a company that has very strict standards on their body. So that's why, you know, if, if a dancer has access to changing their environment, that's important. And if not, I still don't want them partaking in restrictive eating habits because it's just going to land them in mental or physical injury. Right. What did you call it? Stress fracture land? Uh, burnout land. <laughs> okay. Burnout land. But then also you mentioned like stress fractures too. It's oh, like, yeah. great. It, you could under eat, but where will that land you? Exactly. You know, I always educate dancers about the two various types of injury. Now, granted there are, there's, there are injuries that I, and that's not my scope of practice, but what I'm talking about is we can have physical injury, which most often at the beginning is seen as stress fractures for dancers, because what happens is your bone mass starts to decline. You're not eating enough. You know, the, you know, the deal, um, you're not eating enough hormone inadequacies essentially start to deplete your bone mass. And the first thing to go a dancer's feet because of all the pressure that's being put from jumps. So we see it's very common for dancers to just have these little stress fractures on the top of their metatarsals of their feet. And they're substantial enough to have to cause a dancer to sit out because they're pretty damn painful. Um, and that's usually like the first thing. First thing I ask dancers, or, or even if I'm doing a workshop, I'm like, raise your hands if you're comfortable if you've had a stress fracture. I can assure you most of them are raising their hands. Um, and it's not necessarily, by the way, a product of just intentional dieting or intentional restriction. So many younger dancers will get stress fractures because they're not eating enough because they just don't realize it. Um, and you know how hunger can diminish from a busy schedule, from not eating enough. It really can hurricane into yeah. just unintentional under eating as well. So I see a lot of that in the younger dancers as well, and even in the professionals. Um, so very often what we have to do as whether athletes or dancers is have a very proactive approach to how we're fueling our body, because that's another important fact. Um, hunger cues really can't be trusted with a lot of dancers. And again, it's not because of intentional, not always because of intentional restriction. It's also because dancers are extremely active and are very busy, like the general population. So, so often it's about balancing. How do you have a proactive approach, but how do you also do that and not become obsessive with it? Yeah. I mean, this is all so fascinating and I feel like it's a totally different world, but again, the fact that you're in this space and tell people how they can work with you, where they can find you and yeah, a bit about like how you work specifically with dancers. Yeah, of course. So 
a couple of years ago, I created this program called the Healthy Dancer. It started as more of a self-study program, but it's actually kind of snowballed into a bit more of a bigger community where I'll work with dancers either one-on-one or in a couple groups that I run throughout the year. So as you, if you can remember earlier, I spoke about, it's very common for dancers to partake in summer intensives and winter intensives. This is essentially like in the sports world, football players going to like a training camp, very similar. So they'll have that in the summer and in the winter. So what I've created in the healthy dancer program is a virtual summer intensive or winter intensive where dancers are working together in a group setting with me where, where we kind of walk through this framework of how to make peace with food, ditch dancer diet culture, learn about intuitive eating while also integrating a bit more performance nutrition. So it kind of takes gentle nutrition to a bit more of a next level in the sense that um, I I do need to make sure dancers are fueling with enough throughout the day. I mean, actually, this really is similar to anyone really, right? We always have to make sure our biological needs are met. That's like number one. Um, and performance nutrition being a little bit more specified, for example, making sure dancers are getting in adequate sources of calcium and vitamin D or iron and so forth. Um, and making sure that whatever habits they are building are sustainable and they're lasting for their long run. So that's the healthy dancer, the group settings that I work with. And then of course, dancers can also find me and work with me just one-on-one in your like more traditional counseling type of sense. Um, and yeah, so I would say if anyone wants to reach out, they can find me on Instagram at to the point nutrition, or they can reach out through any one of my websites, pointnutrition.com. That's point with an E for like pointing, (laughs) pointing your foot. Um, Pointnutrition.com talks a little bit more about my services that I offer. And then of course I have my blog, which is dancenutrition.com. This is really, I think currently like my heart and soul goes into dancenutrition.com just because um, it's free. It's free resources for all dancers, whether it involves an article, a bunch of downloads. I have a free course on there. I just, like I said, Brittany, actually you, you said this so beautifully. I like to utilize my privilege in a way that can help dancers who might not have those same privileges. So that's my, one of the biggest purposes I have for dancenutrition.com. Sometimes my husband is like, why do you spend so much time if you're not getting paid? Like, right, right. For, for this. And I'm like, you know what? I have to be honest. I, I feel very privileged and I want to, I want to share as much knowledge and information as I can, because I know that I needed that when I was 17 years old. Right. It's amazing. And by the way, all those links will be in the show notes so you can find it there. Thank Thank you you. so much, Rachel. You're such a wealth of knowledge. And this was such a great conversation. Thank you so much. Thank you. Yes. Thank you so much for having me. It was such a pleasure chatting with you both. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of Food Therapy. If you enjoyed what you heard and want to support our podcast, please subscribe, hit download, and share it with your community. We value your feedback. If you feel inspired, please leave a review. Let us know what you've learned and what you would like to hear next. All information about this episode will be linked in our show notes. New episodes of Food Therapy come out every Sunday, but you can stay connected with Food Therapy all week long by following us on Instagram at foodtherapypod. As a disclaimer, this podcast should not replace therapy or working with a registered dietitian. Thank you again, and we'll see you next week.